Thank you very much. Uh, great to be Great to be back at Kingsgate. Thanks for that welcome and a huge welcome to those of you who are joining us online and in Cambridge this morning. Uh, it's really great to have everyone in the room online in Cambridge uh, really digging into this final session on the series on the cross. We've been sitting beneath the cross and reflecting on all that it means for us that Jesus achieved. Amy, as several weeks ago, referred to it as reconciliation. The cross brings us home. Jeff spoke about how there's no condemnation. The cross is justification. And then last week, Tom, in a great message on freedom from the power of sin, the cross is sanctification. Well, today I want to wrap this all up by speaking about the cross in this title, that we are freed to bring hope. The cross is not just God's salvation plan, it's also God's recruitment plan. God is not only saving us, but he also wants to, through saving us, employ us in his mission to save many more people. Amen? Well, with that in mind, I want to introduce you to a new hero of mine, or heroine, I should say, called Harriet. Has anyone heard the story of Harriet Tubman? Maybe you've seen the film on Netflix simply called Harriet. If you haven't, it's worth subscribing to Netflix just to see it, because in the 19th century, she was a black slave in America. She had been abused by her masters, horrendous head injury from that abuse. And then finally, one day, someone enabled her to escape and she found freedom from this incredible oppression. And when she headed north through the Underground Railroad, she managed to get to Pennsylvania, which was then free, where slavery was no longer acceptable. When she got to Pennsylvania, do you know what she did? <laughs> she enjoyed her freedom so much that she turned right round and went back to where she'd been a slave to get her family out. Risked everything to get her family out. She got them out to Pennsylvania, and do you know what she did then? She went back to get her friends out. And what she did then, she went back 13 times, 13 times Harriet Tubman went back again and she brought out apparently well over 70 slaves to freedom. Not one of them was lost en route. And she was a Christian. She had the experience of God's freedom, but then she expressed that by an incredible passion to free others. You can see here a picture of her and a quote from Harriet Tubman. And I love this quote, God gave me my strength and set the north star in the heavens. He meant that we should be free. I would give every drop of blood in my veins to free some more. <laughs> what a fantastic hero, don't you think? An incredible, an incredible example of a Christian motivated by the freedom that God brings to free others. And today that reminds us of the ongoing challenge of human trafficking and slavery in our world. We're to be those who work for freedom and justice for the oppressed. But Harriet also sums up the dynamic of the message today, which is simply, well, I've given it a, the simplest title I think I've ever given or headline to any message. It's simply this, freed people, free people. <laughs> Surely you can remember that, whatever else happens today. Could you, could, would that be okay? Forget the rest of the message, but would you remember that? Freed people, free people. That's Harriet Tubman. That's God's mission plan for the world. Having set us free, we're the freed people now, now we can be part of his mission to free many more. We can go back to our family and our friends like Harriet did and bring them through to a place of experiencing the love of God through Jesus Christ. Amen? That's our mission. And I want to look at a few verses from Paul's letter to the Corinthians where he very much reflects on this dynamic. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm going to read a few verses there where we unpack our motivation our message and our mission as freed people called to free people. And all of this very much on the cusp of an Easter weekend. 
where our culture will circle around as close as it gets during the year to the cross of Jesus Christ. This Easter is a great opportunity for us freed people to offer this hope that God may free many more people. So with that in mind, 2 Corinthians 5, we read this. For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself. This is the Harriet dynamic. Now listen to this. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We therefore implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God." God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Can you feel Paul's passion stirring through this? We are to be freed people who free people. And the first thing we've got to get straight is our motivation. Point one, our motivation, verse 14, the love of Christ compels us. Paul describes here a love that is so compelling, it's actually literally the word is the love of Christ controls us. He's speaking about a love that's so strong, it's a sort of force that carries you along. Imagine someone who's fallen into a white water rapid. Once they're in, they have to go with the flow. They're compelled down that river. Now, if you've ever fallen in a river, you'll know what that feels like physically. But if you've ever fallen in love, you might know what that feels like emotionally. And actually, it's love that Paul's talking about here. It's the love of Christ that's such a powerful emotional force. Paul says, I feel like I've been swept up in something and I'm no longer living for myself. I feel caught up in this love that carries me forwards. That's the compelling love of Christ. And if you've ever fallen in love, maybe you've had that feeling of being caught up in something that compels you along. Have you ever had that experience? I have, uh, and I, I'm now married to her. And uh, I remember the first time, actually, I got talking to Charlotte. She, I was working in North Wales as an outdoor activities instructor. She had come to that centre to teach English to some German students who were over from Germany. And we got talking on a walk up a mountain. I was meant to be the, the guide, the mountain leader, fully responsible to take these German kids up this mountain. Well, I was at the front, and I got talking to this cute blonde girl called Charlotte. And I honestly, I forgot about the Germans, frankly. <laughs> Completely forgot about the dreams, and I was so engrossed with this conversation that we walked, we literally, I kid you not, we reached the sort of summit ridge, and only then did I look back and realise that my responsibilities were way, way back down the mountain, um, as I'd become so compelled, engrossed in, in this conversation, I'd forgotten about them. I actually managed to deflect all the blame onto them. I started shouting at them, come on, I, I started screaming at them, this is dangerous, Achtung, you know, get, get up here as if it was their fault. But really, I just, I just become compelled. 
I'd lost awareness of myself and an energy and a motivation had come up over me and I'd moved up that mountain quicker than I normally would. Now, this is something of what Paul means when he refers to the love of Christ compels us. There's an energy here in the love of Christ. There's a motivation that takes us beyond ourselves. What does he say? He goes on to say in verse 15, explaining the detail of this, he says, for Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. That's, that's, if someone, if Jesus Christ has died for me, then I'm not, I'm not going to live for myself any longer. This explains Paul's motivation, all the shipwrecks and beatings and imprisonments. Paul's response is, but the Son of God, he died for me. And that love compels me. I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm, not, I'm not on planet earth just to sit around enjoying myself. I'm here for Christ because he came for me. And that love compels me and pushes me out of my comfort zones and beyond my fears and anxieties and causes me to act in the world for Jesus Christ. Now that's Christianity. Christianity is not turning up at church an apathetical religion. Christianity is the compelling love of Christ that drives through our bones and motivates our souls on a daily basis. And yet, and yet, and I'm being honest here, how easy is it for us to drift to the sides of that compelling river of Christ's love, to enter more stagnant waters where we become over-familiar with the truths of the gospel and find ourselves more enamored with other things, where we slip out of living for Christ, and we are too much preoccupied with ourselves. Just the other Easter, I was preaching a message about the death of Jesus, and I prepared what I thought was a good message. I still think it was a good message, and the other people in the room then seemed to think it was a good message, but I'd managed to prepare a message about the cross of Jesus Christ and almost not really think or feel the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's almost a frightening thing that I was able to do that, Isn't it frightening how easily, if you've been around the block a few times, you can sing these songs and not actually gaze upon, with your imagination, to gaze upon the moment where the Son of God, where the carpenter couldn't lift his own cross, he'd been so beaten. Where the Creator was pinned to his own tree by brutal nails. And we sing these things, but we don't think it, we don't feel it. And I remember on that occasion, I'd got to the end of the message, and frankly, the the thing that was most probably prominent in my mind was, did the people think that I'd given a good message? It's like, well, well, who cares? (laughs) It's not about Andrew Ollerton. I no longer live for myself, but for him who died for me. (laughs) And at the end of that uh, service, we sang a hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And you know what? It was only when we were singing verse two of that hymn that I finally got, I just preached on the cross. It was only when we sang verse two that I actually finally got there myself. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. My heart had become charmed by vain things, vain things like myself, (laughs) And it's so easy to drift away from this compelling love of Jesus Christ. But the Easter message is the message that brings us back to the center of it all, back into the flow of that river. Christ's love compels us. Can I ask you today, how motivated are you for Jesus Christ? 
I don't mean how motivated were you yesterday or in a previous era of your faith, but today, how hot and passionate is your faith and, and service to Jesus Christ? I want to call us as a church to stop us in our tracks and say, do not drift into this Easter season not having really thought about what it means. Amen? Don't talk about the cross without feeling it. Don't come before this Easter season without actually visiting Jesus Christ crucified and allowing this love to break our hearts again so that we might, like the Apostle Paul, be like that guy that's met the girl of his dreams and just won't shut up about her. You know that kind of friend? That's what Paul was like. As one theologian puts it, Jesus Christ was Paul's magnificent obsession. I've always loved that phrase. May Jesus Christ this Easter be our magnificent obsession. The love of Christ compels us. That's our motivation. But what is our message? Secondly, what is our message? Paul sums it up in verse 20. Be reconciled to God. Our message is simply this. Be reconciled to God. Now the language of reconciliation implies alienation. People who've been cut off, and in this case, cut off from God. Our sin is that which precludes us, excludes us from God's presence. If you imagine this hand represents our lives, and this black cloth represents our sin, our sin so covers our existence that we are cut off from the presence of God. This is the picture of alienation. But in verse 18, Paul speaks about what God has done, and notice it's what God did. When we offended God, God took the offense on himself. That's the heart of the gospel. I've had a very difficult situation actually this week with someone who's been quite offensive for reasons I won't go into. But I tell you what, when you feel offended, when you feel wronged, isn't it so hard not to retreat, push the door closed and go back into yourself and shut the other person out? And when we offended God, what did he do? Far from shutting the door on us, he opened the door and he came in person. And then we read this. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, one of my favorite verses to summarize the entire message of Easter. If we flick on to verse 21, we read this simple truth. <clears throat> God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Or as the message translation puts it, God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so that we could be put right with God. Isn't that extraordinary? This, what Paul is saying is this. If this is our lives alienated from God, this is Jesus Christ. He had this perfection of righteousness. Or as Paul puts it, he who had done no wrong. God made him who knew no sin and on the cross something great of an exchange occurred where Jesus Christ took our sin and shame. Onto him was placed all of our alienation. That's why on the cross, the darkness fell on him. That's why on the cross, he was alienated. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in order that that would happen to him, in other words, that he was treated as our sins deserve, but Paul goes on to say, so that we might become the righteousness of Christ in him. If he was treated how our sins deserve, now we can be reconciled to God and we can be treated as Jesus Christ deserves. Isn't that an extraordinary thought? If you knew what I'd done, <laughs> yeah, 
And if I knew what you'd done, and yet I was being told, but we're treated by God like Jesus Christ himself, we would understand the mystery of the gospel. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Now, this is our message. This is Paul's point. The message of good news that Easter declares to our broken and fractured world is be reconciled to God. They may not understand all of the details that I've just explained, but the core appeal is clear. God has put aside his enmity towards us and reached out in love to us and every human being. Christ died for all and therefore all can be reconciled to God. And when that occurs, what does Paul say? It will be that God does not treat our sins against us. He doesn't charge our sins against us. Now, that remains fundamentally good news. However, I appreciate some of you may be thinking, even as I'm explaining that good news, it sounds good news in here, but the world that I live in out there, Andy, that world doesn't seem so interested anymore. And I get it, right? I mean, being put right with God, that's the call of God, God reconciling the world to us in Christ. And yet so many of our friends, they're less concerned about being put right with God and more concerned about who's got the rights to the football they want to watch this afternoon. <laughs> Have you noticed this? That people that see, be reconciled with God can meet a shrug of the shoulders and people are like, well, that's great, but what about soaring energy prices? That's the real problem we face. Now, what do we say in response to this? Well, I want to say a couple of things. Firstly, just because something's not on trend doesn't mean it's not true, right? Just because something's not on trend doesn't mean the truth has changed. Fundamentally, whether human beings realize it or not, we have a problem with God, and God himself has solved that problem. And, and actually, it's quite possible, as doctors know, for something to be seriously wrong with someone and for them to be unaware of it. I was speaking to someone recently who said that they had a routine scan. It was just a routine scan, but it had picked up quite a serious underlying condition, and they were so relieved that that problem they didn't know they had could now be addressed. That's the Easter message, right? A problem that we may not even know we have can now be addressed. But it's also worth saying that not only is it possible to have something wrong with us, they don't realize it. It's also possible for us to know there's something wrong with us, but not realize what the solution is, where the real problem lies. Doctors refer to this as deferred pain. Have you ever had this experience? I remember going to the doctor once with pain down my leg. It was going down the side of my leg and into my foot. And I tried all kinds of stretching exercises to sort out my leg. And for the doctor to point out, the problem was in my back. It was until that sciatic nerve was, was freed up that this pain wasn't going away. It's deferred pain. You don't actually realize that the symptoms you're experiencing trace back to a different problem. Here's my point. The human race, all of our brokenness, all of the pain and the broken hearts around us ultimately traces back to this issue. We need to be reconciled to God. That is the fundamental and underlying cause of so much deferred pain that we see around us. And this Easter, we have an opportunity to help people realize, actually, if I could find peace with God, I would start living with peace in all kinds of new ways. If I could be reconciled to God, I could be reconciled in my relationships with other people in all kinds of new ways. It's when we get right with God that our lives start to come into alignment and order and are put right. This is the message then that is still good news today. Have you noticed there are so many broken hearts in our world and the message of the cross is reconciliation and hope. And we as Christians then are called, and this is our third point, our mission 
is simply this. Paul sums it up in verse 20 that we, our mission is to be as Christ's ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassadors. We have this motivation, the love of Christ compels us. We have this message, our world can be reconciled to God. But how will the world hear that message unless we are on mission, we are Christ's ambassadors? A few years back, we went to Geneva and stayed in a house owned by the American embassy in Geneva because one of Charlotte's relatives worked at the embassy. She was a special assistant to the ambassador there. And it was interesting talking to her about how she was trained. She's from the US. She's living in a foreign country, but all of her technology is US. All of her training is US. And she is trained to act, and this is the training, to speak and act as if the President of the United States was standing next to her. That was the training. You represent the President and the United States of America, but on foreign soil. That's the idea of an ambassador. And this is what Paul picks up on here in this passage. He says, we are Christ's ambassadors. And then he goes on to say, as though God were making his appeal through us. Now, this is why it's so important that we don't live for ourselves. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Amen? We have a message that our world desperately needs, and we must not become engrossed in merely self-centered interests. It's a time for the church to arise with a new confidence to step beyond what we're interested in and say, but I'm an ambassador for Jesus Christ. He wants to make an appeal to those friends and family around me. He wants to make his appeal through me. The other week, I was, um, I, I was, this, this all came illustrated in my own experience as I took my son to a football match, and uh, I'd managed to get a parking place. We've actually got a, a VW camper van now, and I managed to get a parking place right next to the pitch where he was playing. And so I had this perfect scenario where I was just going to sit in the van drinking tea and watching him play through the window, which if you're a parent, I mean, that's just heaven, right? That's, that's the kingdom of God come on earth. So I'm sitting in the van all set up beautifully, and then this man comes and stands in front of the window. He leans against the van and blocks the view. So I got out the door, um, opened the door to basically ask him to move. But as I got out, I was reminded of a prayer that actually through Kingsgate, Charlotte and I still have learned to pray that prayer every morning. Lord, please show us who we can bless today in Jesus' name. And as I opened the door to ask this guy to move, that prayer just flicked into my mind, enough to deflect my idea that this moment wasn't necessarily about my own comfort and drinking tea, right? So I got chatting to the guy anyway, to cut a long story short. I got chatting to him instead of asking him to move. And as I was talking to him, I felt God put a question on my heart for him. I simply asked him, have, have you had your heart broken recently? And he was a big chunk of a guy and not, not one that was easily... Uh, perhaps it moved, and so it was a bit awkward because he sort of went quiet, and I thought, oh gosh, (laughs) wish I hadn't said that, only to realize that he'd filled up with tears. And actually, just a few months ago, they'd experienced a terrible family tragedy and, and heartbreak. And he opened up in that moment about all of this underlying stuff, and suddenly, this deferred pain that I was talking about earlier, this sense of alienation within the family, this sense of the pain and the loss all of this stuff started flooding out and I was able to share just a little bit of the hope that we have through Jesus Christ with a man who otherwise to me just seemed like somebody in the way. In fact, he's one of those people that Christ died for and that God's urgent appeal is coming to be reconciled to God. Amen? Now the point is, yeah, the point is, how ready are we to realize that that's our mission? I I, I say that to shame myself. I thought my mission was to get a good parking place and enjoy a cup of tea. (laughs) 
It's so easy to live that way, to drift through Easter like that. No, no, our mission is that we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. I'm still in touch with that guy. I I sent him a book that I've written on the Bible and he's reading that. He sent me a book that his son's written because he's actually a very, very famous professional football player, so I'm reading his book. And every time he sends me a message, he signs it off with a little emoji of a broken heart. And I, I, I find myself really moved by that. You know, folks, there's a lot of broken hearts in our world. There's a lot of broken hearts around us. And every single one of those hearts, Jesus Christ died for. One died for all. And every single one of those hearts, we are ambassadors on Christ's behalf. God wants to make his urgent appeal through us to them be reconciled to God. So this Easter... May the love of Christ fill our hearts with renewed passion and may that passion express itself as our culture circles closest to the cross in this season than any other moment. We have an invitation. We have a conviction. Christ died for all and we have an invitation for all to experience that truth. May we take it motivated by this love and share it far and wide because God is making his appeal to us right now because he wants to make his appeal through us to our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to respond to this message together in Cambridge and online, wherever you're watching and in the room. We're going to respond in a moment by taking communion. We're going to celebrate celebrate the truths that we have been speaking of this morning, that Jesus Christ was broken for us on the cross that he surrendered to the whips and the nails because he loved us. The love of Christ then is what frees us and compels us. Like Harriet, freed people, compelled to go and free more people. I want to ask you this morning, firstly, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Take out your communion pots with me and we're gonna share communion in just a moment. But before we do, as you hold that, I wonder if there's a few of us here today who are not right with God ourselves. In a moment, we'll take communion and ask God to fire us up with a love for others. But what about ourselves? This all begins with us being reconciled to God. Is there anyone watching online perhaps or here in the room in Cambridge and you know that your heart is alienated from God? That black cloth is still covering, separating you. It may be that you used to be close to God, but you've drifted away. And before we take communion, you just need to put your hand up and say, God, I'm coming home today. I I receive what Christ has done and I make it my own. I wanna pray for you if you're in that place. And while others just bow their heads and close their eyes, if you would like me to pray for you to be reconciled to God today, don't hold back, just give me a little wave and I'd like to know who I'm praying for. Does anyone want me to pray for you to be reconciled to God today? Thank you so much. Anybody else? Thank you so much. Is there anyone else who's just saying, I want to be reconciled to God? I need to start with getting right. I'm going to pray for you both. And if there's anyone else that I can't quite see, I'm praying for you too. Heavenly Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you that you made a way for our sin not to count against us. And that way was through it counting against Christ himself. I pray for those now who've reached out to you in faith. Lord Jesus, As we pray now, just speak these words after me. Those of you, just put your hand up. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. Forgive me 
Cleanse me and reconcile me now to you in Jesus' name. Lord, let that reconciling work of the cross take effect, not just on those people, but on all of us right now. We ask that as we take communion, as we experience these emblems of the body and blood of Jesus, may our hearts be turbocharged again with the love of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. So open your pots and take out the, from the top uh, layer, do take out the wafer. I've got a full loaf here that represents the body of Christ. Your wafer is a symbol of that. And we recognize on the cross that his body was broken and torn so that we could be forgiven and healed and made whole. So would you like to take that wafer and uh, just hold it up before the Lord for a moment and just thank Jesus for what he's done. Before you eat it, as I said earlier, It's possible to go through motions, but not this morning. Take that wafer and just pause and give thanks to Jesus. And then when you're ready, eat it and respond. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. The price has been paid. A body was broken and blood was shed. Thank you, Lord. And now as we take the cup, I'd like to invite you to stand with me. Stand together as you take the cup that symbolizes the blood of Jesus Christ. And as we take the cup this morning, having received the bread more to reflect on what he's done for us, as we take the cup, I want us just to drink it as an act of commitment that we will serve Jesus Christ, no longer live for ourselves. What does Paul say? One died for all and therefore all have died and those who died should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them. As we take the cup this morning, we're saying it's death to my old life. I'm not gonna live this week for myself. I'm living it for Jesus Christ. Christ's love compels me. Let's drink together to that vision. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And we're going to sing together when I survey the wondrous cross. And I want to invite you just to open your heart. I don't know what your motivation levels were like when you came in this morning for Christ. And my prayer is, and as I'm praying over this message, I felt God just wanting to move us back into the center of the river. Some of us have drifted to stagnant waters and got a bit stuck. May this reflection on the cross, this hymn of thanks to God, were the whole realm of nature mine. That would be an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life and my soul and my all. So let's lift our hands to the Lord. We present ourselves to you, Lord. May we not be a passive, apathetic people, but a highly charged, energized, motivated, missional people on mission for the one who died for us. We choose, we no longer live for ourselves. Lord Jesus, we are your ambassadors. May you make your appeal through us this week. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Let's worship together.